This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Rechte Neckfahne mit dem linken Fuß. Bringt den Ball auf den zweiten Pfosten. Tische! Tor! 1-0 für den VfL Bochum! Da draußen ist der Ball frei! Und jetzt ist er drin! Jetzt ist er drin! Und die Spotzen macht das Tor! Hello and welcome to another edition of the Spider Bundesliga podcast. 23 match days down and we are getting ever so closer to the end of the season. Who is in the race for promotion? Who is most likely to go down? And we have all that and much, much more on this week's edition. Joining me to digress this crazy, crazy match day, which is match day 23, the one and only Eva Lottebol. Eva, how are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you. That's fantastic. And also joining us all the way from the States. We're glad to have him back. He is, of course, Derek Ray. Derek, how are you doing today? I'm very well, Matthew, and it's always a delight to be able to focus on the Zweite Bundesliga for a good hour or so with you and Lotte. We are always delighted to have you on the podcast. And without further ado, we should get cracking with what was the biggest game of the match day, uh, the Hamburg derby at the Volkspark Stadion, Hamburg and St. Pauli. This was a massive game for both sides, Hamburg looking to maintain pace with Bielefeld and Stuttgart, while St. Pauli looking to edge closer away from that bottom three. Um, and as one of our replies on our Twitter post from St. Pauli, Ohio, Hamburg is brown. A second consecutive win for St. Pauli in the derby. They do the sweep. 2-0 win. Uh, goals from Hank Wehrmann and an absolute beauty from Matt Penny. Enough to see St. Pauli take a crucial three points and edge a little bit closer away from the bottom three. Uh, Derek, I'm going to start with you. This is a massive game for many reasons, being that it is one of the more unique derbies, being that St. Pauli, part of that red light district in Hamburg, and Hamburg being the big almighty club. What a massive result this is for St. Pauli in their quest to avoid the drop. Huge for St. Pauli and miserable for Hamburg, you've got to say. And to lose twice to your city rivals in the same season, that's not really the sort of form that portends promotion for Hamburg. And you do wonder if it might be a similar story now to what we saw last season. There's still time, of course, for Hamburg to rectify the situation. But let's focus on St. Pauli because I thought they were very resourceful in this game. As you mentioned, the penny goal was a work of art. The Fairman goal, I'm not sure what Hamburg were doing defensively, uh, Van Drongel in particular. That really was not something that they'll be playing back with glee over and over again when they review the Derby highlights from this past season. I thought Hamburg began the game well. Uh, I thought they were active in the first few minutes. I thought they took the game to their opponents, but just lost their way. And it simply didn't happen after that. And Zank Pauli did a fine job of repelling and then creating when they got into advanced positions. And, you know, so many Derby heroes, it's always going to be a story of Derby heroes, isn't it? For a team like Zank Pauli, who are the underdogs in the city, 
but they took it to Hamburg. And, um, you know, if you look at somebody like Rio Miaichi, who I've been watching for a good number of years, uh, you know, very effective in this game. Um, Fairman did well up front with his particular role. And uh, just tactically, I thought they got most things right in this game with a back three, which could become a back five when it had to. But um, questions to be asked about Hamburg. I'm not ready to say that, you know, this definitely means they're not going to get promotion or anything like that. It might just be a little bump in the road. We shall see about it. But uh, as I say, to lose twice to uh, the Keats kicker in this case, the the local rivals, um, not really what the doctor ordered. And Hamburg will have to do a bit of soul searching on the back of it, I think. Agreed. I also like the fact that St. Pauli weren't afraid to play two up front as well. We saw uh, Dimantakos, who has been almost a non-factor in the uh, the 2020 portion of the season, and and it just gave them a different look. That you know we've seen Fairman up top by himself the, and having the two attacking wingers. Uh, it was it was a very you know good thing that from Yosluhukai that he was uh, able to be aggressive in that way. Uh, Eva. Yeah, this is another painful result for Hamburg, and we will talk about the other results around that top four in, in a moment. Uh, it's been a bit sputtery. They were very fortunate to get a point in Hanover last week. Uh, what, what's, what do you think's the the real issue with the way Hamburg are going about it over the last couple of weeks? <laughs> From an uh, Armenia perspective, this is kind of the thing that everyone thinks Armenia is doing, that they kind of break at some stage at the season. Um, I think this is Hamburg's downfall of the season. I think it will be over quite sooner than than last season. Um, but you can still see that you kind of get some of the, the Hamburg yeah, characteristics out of the club, but on all of it, there's always a time, even with like really, really good players like Louis Schaub, that you can't really bring on the field what you what you have. Um, I think this, this derby game was a particular one. And I think for St. Pauli, it's... Uh, the first away win in over a year or something like that. So they uh, weren't really good away this season or, or the rest of the last season. So this is a huge win for them. Um, yeah, I I think um, with the with the goal relatively early or the both goals relatively early in in, in the first half, um, this decided the game. Uh, Hamburg couldn't really get back, especially because uh, St. Pauli was 2-0 up even 3-4-4 seconds. Um, they couldn't really bring their their qualities on the field, and that was why they they lost this derby. Um, they Also, they have a very difficult on the weekend. They travel to Auer, which is a site where it's really, really good at home. Um, both Stuttgart and Auer struggled with them at home. Uh, it's going to be going to be a tough end of the week, I think. That it will, uh, we will swiftly move on to the before mentioned Armenia Bielefeld. Uh, well, they did it the hard way. It was not by far a pretty game against Hanover, but they managed to do it 1 0. Uh, an 80 second goal by substitute Reinhold Yarbo, his fourth of the season, was enough to see the Elm go rapturous once again. They maintain their place atop of the standings. Uh, Eva. Another another good win, even though at times it looked in doubt. But 
you maintain the the stakeholder as the number one team in the league? Well, um, I think the the main reason BFA wasn't really in this game was due to the weather conditions. I think Hanover picked uh, up their game way faster than BFA did. Um, Hanover had the had the bigger chances on the likes of Jankudetti or um, Selig Toyset in the second half when Ortega didn't really get the memo that you can't really play short passes uh, in in this very watery field uh, or the watery pitch. Um, I think Andover had a really, really good performance. Uh, Bielefeld was was lucky not to go one 0 down, um, but I think uh, that's what Kenan Kotrick said as well. Um, if you are top of the table, you are more likely to win those games when it looks like a nil nil than than Andover is, who are still struggling with the relegation. Um, I'm really, really happy for Rano Diabo to score. It's not his easiest season. He's not really on 100% yet. Um, so him more or less scoring the decider of the game, bringing another three points at home for Mina, which are nine this uh, in 2020 already. So all three games were won at home, which is really good going forward. Um I think it was really good coming on for Zuko. I didn't see much of the game, though, but what I saw of it was okay. Um, and I think it was a fight, uh, which Bielefeld won not really, maybe in the in the best manner, but they won. Yeah, it, you know, it, it was it was he talk about Yarbo not having the best season. If anyone sees the goal in slow motion, uh, you will notice that he's trying to to belt it with his foot, but it comes off his knee and into the back of the net, which is which I found quite humorous. Um, in terms of Hanover. Uh, they did play very well. They, what the conditions certainly helped because we've seen Bielefeld have been able to play from the back, patiently move uh, side to side, uh, in, and and then eventually hit teams quickly. Uh, they played them. They forced Armenia to play a more direct style of football, uh, very consistently. You'd see Ortega just hoof the ball along to close, close with the head of the ball to the to the man in front if if someone was front and center or he would head the ball on to either Klaus uh, or Edmondson or, or, or Suku uh, running onto the ball but I, it's interesting his comments Kokach were, were 100% right you know Hanover had their chances they did force some individual errors by uh, Bielefeld especially in the back half um, the Ortega one obviously the good one and and you know Ortega and, and Toika really probably should have scored um Derek, I guess we should talk about Hanover as well while we're here. Uh, the last two weeks, it's fair to say they could have had at least four points, but they've uh, they've come away with just the one. Uh, what what what's been your impression of, of Hanover under Keenan Kokach, and do you see the improvement compared to the start of the season under Mirko Slomka? Well, I think you're right to mention the results, but I think this was not a terrible performance from Hanover when you analyse the weather. You analyse the conditions, the game itself. I mean, congratulations to both teams, actually, for putting on a little bit of a show when you're not entitled to expect that in these conditions. But to get back to Hanover, I think that, um, you know, there are worrying signs if you just look at the results. I think that they're perhaps in a slightly false position uh, in the table. I think they are better than that. We know that their squad should be a lot better than where they are. Um, but it's a matter of whether they can lift themselves up. And I'm not sure you can judge too much on this game 
given that they were against up against the best team in the Zweite Bundesliga based on the, the current tabulations and the weather factor. So I wouldn't necessarily be, be worried about them because uh, I think there, there still is better football to come from Hannover. It's just not where any of us thought they would be um, at the start of the season following their relegation from the Bundesliga. Agreed, agreed. Another one of those teams who obviously went down last season was Stuttgart. They hosted Jan Regensburg, uh, two nil winners for them. They scored twice in the space of 107 seconds. That was enough to see the Swabians take a much needed three points. It means they move up to second ahead of Hamburg. And it was a very good performance, Derek. Uh, the goals were, were quite clinical. The free kick from Didavi and then Gonzalo Castro just shortly afterwards. Uh, a very good performance for Stuttgart and, and you know, the renaissance under Pellegrini Matarazzo, especially at home, uh, is becoming very noticeable. Absolutely. And the defence is tight. Just one conceded in five under Matarazzo since he took over the reins. I think their work against the ball, without the ball, is noticeably better. And of course, they have individual match winners. And there's nobody better in that regard than Daniel Didavi. And he's a player I've always enjoyed. He's a true entertainer. Uh, he can take a game by the scruff of the neck. He did so many things right in this match. And of course, for good measure, scored a cracking free kick goal that um, that was was really the, the, the road, the paving stone, if you like, to to victory and then the second goal from Castro almost immediately and it was a bit like the, the two-punch knockout as far as Jan Regensburg were concerned. I think Stuttgart might have been a little bit concerned going into this game just because Jan are that sort of unpredictable team that they can do it against the, the bigger clubs. We've seen that but didn't quite have enough over the piece and um, yeah, I mean it was a great weekend for Stuttgart when you add everything together. Uh, there's a wonderful German word, of course, Eva uh, will be able to, to tell us um, Fernduel, uh, what that really means in, in German terms. It's not really an exact English expression, but what it really means is you have two teams who are uh, you know, high up, competing with each other, but not on the same pitch. And you had that with Stuttgart and Hamburg. This was a true Fern duel. I guess a long distance duel would be the, the literal translation of the word. But um, psychologically, it's so important when you win one of these uh, Fern duel situations. And that's what happened to Stuttgart. And um, more power to them based on what we saw. Absolutely. And one thing that also impressed me, considering that you look at the defense that they had to put out uh, on the weekend with the injuries to Bad Stuber, Kaminsky. Uh, and, and Kemp, you have Phillips, who's on loan from Liverpool, Karazor, who's normally a defensive midfielder, and Pascal Stenzel, who normally plays as well in the back three, he would play as a wing back. So they managed quite well against the Jan team that we know can score. Kerbal was very good, he made some very good saves again. Uh, Eva, or oh, I guess we'll touch on Jan for a little bit. Yeah, it wasn't a terrible performance, they did make a fair account for themselves, but uh, yeah, it's the, the, the past couple of weeks have been quite, uh, you know, inconsistent. You know, they beat v, v Spartan. They were smacked by Bielefeld. They were okay in the game against Stuttgart. But uh, you can tell at times the, the lack of individual quality is certainly making a difference as they are struggling uh, midway through the uh, the second half of the season. 
I think you can really see someone like Kamaraika Dewey missing off the team. Um, someone who shows it at Stuttgart at the moment. Um, someone who can always find the back of the net at some stage, even if the rest of the team isn't. Um, I think he's really being missed and they didn't really find someone to replace him. I think it's one of the biggest problems. Also, um, their instability in the back Um they really give up goals easily this season. Um, yeah, and they, they can't really... Something that they could do the past couple of seasons that they could redo it with them scoring another goals. But sadly, in this league, as soon as you're a smaller club and you have someone up front who shows great quality or have a really good coach, uh, you easily lose them. Um, both was the case with, uh, with Regensburg. Um, with losing by a lot and someone uh, like Hamindi uh, Agadoui. So it's really tough season for them. I think they overperformed a bit. I had them down at one of the first to be in the relegation battle actually this season. Um, so I'm not that surprised um, that they do not really win their games as they used to. Um, yeah, and I didn't, I think. Um, it's going to be a tough season for them in in getting points. Not really. In, we talked about it past couple of weeks. Not in terms of being, yeah, dragged into the relegation battle, but in in terms of getting their points. Yeah, they're also missing the likes of Sarkis Adamian, who's now at Hoffenheim, as well as goalkeeper Philip Pentker. Uh, so yeah, just that individual quality. You could tell that they're just missing it. Um, and yeah, so they. We'll see how it goes for them uh, as the season continues. Let's move on to Heidenheim and Kiel. This game was in Germany's north. Yeah, this game, in terms of pitch conditions, were atrocious. The The six-yard boxes were just mud. The, the near side, the camera side of the ground, if you would watch someone like Fabian Rieser dribbling, uh, the ball would get stuck under his feet uh, as it would stop in the mud. And that's kind of like the goal that was scored by Norman Toyakov to give Heidenheim the 1-0 win. As the cross came in, it went past goalkeeper Ioannis Gelios, and in most cases, the ball would skid past um, in the wet conditions. However, it stopped in the mud, and then very much like an under-six games where there's just two players literally sliding in the mud, Toyakov knocks it in, 1-0 win. Heidenheim keep pace. They're only three points behind Hamburg. And very much the team that looks like that'll put the fight and the pressure on the top three if one happens to slip up. Uh, Eva, another you know we we talk we talked about how big this game was in terms of position with Heidenheim and Kiel who have been very good under Oli Werner. This is a, this almost felt like a very typical Frank Schmidt win for Heidenheim. <laughs> yeah, especially if you look uh, that we kind of talked about a really really small crisis for Heidenheim. I don't know how much you can say in terms of they find their way back now um, because it it was a really, really like horrible game in terms of the pitch. Um, I think if it would have been a Bundesliga match, this wouldn't uh, have been refereed in the first place. Um, for Heidenheim, it's a huge win, putting the pressure on Hamburg. Um, they're nine points away from, from Bielefeld and two points away away from Hamburg. 
huge, huge win for them, especially to keep keel a bit of their their yeah, following them up um a bit up top to the to the on the table. Um yeah, but all in all not a very pretty game, not a lot of highlights, uh and I think quite as the Bielefeld match what you just had in the end you you had a very, very lucky winner. Yeah, unlike many who were watching the Hamburg derby, I was actually watching this game for, you know, the footballing purists that uh, <laughs> wanted to want to be different. Um, yeah, it was not the kind of game that playing the ball around on the on the deck was going to work. Uh, but the, it was surprisingly the first half in particular was quite open, minus any sort of uh, finished product. I know Kiel had a good chance in early on in the first half, but uh, Kevin Muller's big, big frame got in the way. I don't think he knew much about it either, uh, but making the good save nonetheless. Um, Derek, you look at these two sides, you know, both, I think we would agree, perennial overachievers with, the, you know, the, the resources that they have and, and whatnot. Uh, which team over the course of the season has impressed you the most? Oh, undoubtedly Heidenheim, um, even though I think when last I was on your podcast, I suggested this was going to be a difficult season for Holstein Kiel. So they have surprised us, no doubt about that. But Heidenheim keep doing it and we keep wondering how they do it. And you mentioned that was a Frank Schmidt type of win. And a lot of it, I think, comes down to Frank Schmidt, who, um, you know, must be in the top two or three coaches if he's not the best coach in the second division based on the resources, based on how he puts his team out, based on the results he gets. I mean, I think um, those results speak for themselves. Uh, again, you know, even more extreme than the, the Bielefeld game conditions-wise. I mean, this was, in my quest to try to introduce German words to the English football vocabulary, this was a Schlammschlacht, which is a great German word. <laughs> um, I'm sure you'll agree, Eva. This was a, a mud, a mud uh, fight. Call it what you will. Would you go along with that, Schlammschlacht? Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. This was a Schlammschlacht. How it, you you can find it in the Duden, I think. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very yes. onomatopoeic word, um, which, which gives you the impression uh, of exactly the sort of game that we had here. But yeah, I mean, um, you know, Heidenheim can win in, in a number of different ways, and and they won this game. Um, interestingly, Kiel had already ordered a new um, grass pitch ahead of the match. And I think it's a good thing that they they made that precaution, uh, a cost of €130,000, I'm told. And that new pitch is actually in place now. It's been put in just as we're doing this podcast. Um, But, uh, yeah, really they're thunder-stolen a bit. Keyes thunder-stolen by Heidenheim, who are one of the stories, again, in the Zweite Bundesliga this season. That they are. We should take a quick break. And on the other side, we're going to look at the teams down the bottom. What goes up must come down. We will talk Dresden and the rest of the teams fighting the drop in just a moment. Yes, and we should start with the team that is rock bottom. That is Dynamo Dresden. Oh, It was a tough one to take for their fans. as A late minute goal by Vitaly Janolt giving Bochum all three points and condemning Dresden to a very tricky predicament, sitting A, bottom, but more importantly, they are eight points from safety. 
Uh, and when it, with points becoming harder and harder to pick up and time slowly becoming a factor, it really looks difficult that the giant from the east may be in some sort of trouble. Uh, Derek, we have seen the change of coach uh, with Marcus Kalczynski uh, a few weeks back. Uh, it hasn't delivered the bounce that they were hoping. Uh, do you think it's going to be a, a very difficult predicament for, for Dresden to get out of this uh, situation? It, it looks that way. I think you'd have to conclude. I mean, the year started well enough for them. Um, you know, win against Karlsruhe, uh, some decent results in there, but um, I don't know. I, I, I'm just not feeling it at the moment. And I think this was such an important game for Dynamo Dresden um, if they have designs on staying up. But it just looks as though it begins to slip more and more away from them. And interestingly, the noises we're hearing now from uh, Kautsinski and company um, have to do more with third bottom, making that the target, trying to get into the playoff and doing it that way because automatic safety is looking less and less likely. Um, I think the difference in this game really came down to that slightly better quality of attacking player that Bochum has in comparison with Dresden and also somebody like Danny Bloom, who's been around a bit and has got know-how and can pass and can open defences and uh, hit the bar in this game himself, came close uh, near the end in the last few minutes. So I think, um, you know, Bochum with somebody like Gonvula as well, who I really enjoy watching whenever I see him. He started this one on the bench, but didn't take long to make an impact just four minutes or so after coming on his first goal of 2020. But I think he has a real presence about him. And it's just, you know, that presence, something that Dresden currently lack and, coaching change or not, which they've made, I, I fear for them, which would be a shame because I, I do like them as a as a second division team and a place to go and watch outside the Bundesliga football. Yeah, I was actually discussing this uh, with, with a couple of people on Twitter and they would be a massive loss in terms of what they bring to the table in terms of fanfare and, and, and atmosphere uh, as one of those, those, those giants in the east, eastern part of the country. Uh, but yeah, they just they just can't put the ball in the back of the net regularly, and uh, you know they they obviously allowed Musakone to leave for, for Olympic Nims uh, in the in the winter, uh, and the guys that they brought in, you know, you Patrick Schmitz, uh, you know Josef Huschbauer, uh, these guys Baris Atik, who who's been at the club for a couple of years now, these guys are on the bench, and uh, yeah, it does seem like a damage limitation situation, either for Borchum. Uh, we should talk about them. Uh, yeah, a much-needed win. We know how difficult it's been for them on their travels to pick up any sort of points. Uh, they had to do it late, of course, but um, yeah, a, mass a massive result for them going forward. Yeah, definitely. I think it was really a pretty game for them. Um, it was kind of um, what we call it in German, an Arbeitssieg, more or less. Um, it wasn't really pretty. Uh, it was more or less the opposite but I think that's something that Bochum fans will not really care about um, because uh, it's more or less uh, a saying if you if you as, doubt, as bottom as, as Bochum were uh, before the game you just need to pick up points it doesn't really matter at this stage of the season how you do you just have to pick up points um, 
So very, very important. I think for for Vitaliana it was um good good game, really, really important goal. Um I think he's someone some of a character of a player Bochum really needs, um, really puts himself um into every game for the team and that's something Bochum really need. Also I think um Leitch was really good once again. I think some Bochum fans weren't really happy with him returning and already being back in the lineup. But um I think the couple of games he showed so far in twenty twenty were really, really good by him and uh, I think he can be a huge factor for Bochum in the next couple of match days. That he can, especially a team that has struggled almightily defensively. They haven't really figured out who is the best defensive pairing in that centre-half position. But uh, they went with Dekali and Leitch again. Um, the same pairing they had in the Stuttgart game, which it was the one mistake that led to the one and only goal. So it may work going forward. We'll wait and see. Another team that is in that bottom three was Karlsruhe. Uh, they picked up their first win in, in many, many weeks. Uh, the first win for Christian Eichner as uh, as head coach. Goals coming from Jerome Gondorf and Anis Benatira. Uh, the latter had an excellent performance. He assisted on the opening goal, got one himself, could have had a second. Uh, and we look at Karlsruhe, who have been really struggling of late. Uh, their first win of 2020. What a massive result that is, uh, Eva, for the uh, for them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think they were um, yeah, very good. What, what, very good. They were convincing throughout the game. Um Someone who really made a dis- difference here was Anis Benatira. Um, first time he scored since 2013 in the Zweite Bundesliga. Um, I think they they showed a really decent performance. Uh, Sandhausen was not really into the game, wasn't really involved in any kind of ways. The chances they had weren't really good. Um, I think there was, for example, a free kick by... Two pits, uh, second half of of the game, but they weren't really going forward. Um, so huge, huge win for Karlsruhe, puts Dresden and Hanover in a spot where they really have to fear. Um, so huge win for them, and uh, especially with Bochum winning as well, uh, really, really important three points. Absolutely, and <clears throat> when you look at the table as it stands. Uh, Karlsruhe, two points from automatic safety. Wiesbaden, two points away from the relegation playoff, four points. And then obviously Dresden, uh, very much looking uphill. I guess we should actually talk about Sandhausen because now they're very much in this mix. Four consecutive defeats. And now they're only three points above the relegation playoff spot. Uh, It's been quite evident, Derek, that their inability to score has become a real issue over the past few weeks. And, and after being what seemed like a relatively safe uh, situation, uh, now it's becoming damage limitation again. Yeah, dangerous times for Zandhausen and their supporters at the moment. Uh, you mentioned that grim run. They haven't scored in four games either now. And they go to Bochum on Sunday. And all of a sudden, you look at this fixture, you look at Bochum a point behind them, and you think, okay, this could be really problematic for Zandhausen too. And, you know, previously we didn't think about them at all as a team in trouble, but um, the opposite is true now. And that can really come to the fore in a game like this, a big, passionate derby. 
Um, Karlsruhe had a big travelling support. It almost at times felt a bit like a home game for them. And they made that, you know, not a home advantage, but the advantage of, of being just 50 kilometres away and having that travelling support. They made that count. So, um, yeah, Zandhausen certainly need to pull out all the stops and the trend is not their friend at the moment. Absolutely not. We will move on and talk about the Nuremberg and Darmstadt game because this game was riddled with controversy. It was a 2-1 win for Delian. It means that they go 7th and it's their third consecutive win. So they have hit a good spot of form. The goals coming uh, in the second half for Darmstadt, Tobias Kemper and Dario Dumic. The opening goal from Nikola Dovidan. But it can't be helped that the red card for Askar Sorensen very much changed the complexion of this game, which Nuremberg had relative control with. Um, Derek, I'm not sure you, you can pick which side of the, the, the coin you'd like to look at, but uh, it would be fair to say that the officiating in this game was uh, highly questionable and very much had an impact on the final result. Well, I know that you have strong opinions on the particular official in this case, Matthew, so I want to leave some time for you to, to mop up on this one. But, uh, yeah, Patrick Alt, you know, maybe not his best day. Um, you know, you can go down the list of, of the different incidents in the game. Uh, the, the Asgar Sorensen incident, the, the second yellow for Fabian Nuremberger. Uh, you know, referees have good days and bad days. I, I don't like to, to hammer individual referees, so so I might leave that to you just on, on the backside of it. Um, but uh, Darmstadt continue to impress me. Uh, they continue to surprise, really, because, again, they're a team at the start of the season. You never quite know what you're going to get from Darmstadt. But, um, you know, they, they did have a pretty bad record in Nuremberg going into this game. Um, a record that they certainly weren't all that proud of, but uh, able to to pull things out sometimes. And we think of them as the draw specialists, but a win here. Um, but Nuremberg fans probably are going to have a lot to say about it. And uh, and I'm curious to, to hear what you have to say about the referee. Yeah, I, like, I don't want to be too harsh on him because, you know, neither of us have officiated at a professional level. So it's it's... It's unfair, and without the referee, we don't have a game. So I, I don't want to be too overcritical because don't have the experience. What I would say is he may have gone a bit brain neutral in the sense that the foul for the penalty was highly questionable. I would have seen it as a dive more than anything. There was so little contact, and then... Uh, he dished a red card because it was deemed as a clear goal-scoring opportunity, which I don't think he was getting to anyway. So that's become a situation. And then the second yellow card for Fabian Nurnberger, well, Marvin Millim is time-wasting. Late in the game, 2-1 up, you know, we're just, we're just going to take as much time off the clock as possible. Nurnberger just picks him up because he's time-wasting and he dishes a second yellow card, which is absolutely ridiculous uh, I think the only issue I really take with the refereeing at, at, at the current time is that it seems that none of them really have a feel of what's going on in the game the, the, you can tell that the ones that are at their peak have a really you know they control the game they're, they're very uh, they communicate very well with the players and, and you can tell that the games run well but some of the officials this season I think I think many would agree Hans, Hans Osmus would be one 
who has been someone who's clearly had no feel for any game. You'd go back to the DFB Cup game uh, and the situation with Jordan Torinariga. Absolutely had no feel for the game there. He was pretty ordinary also in the Stuttgart game as well. <clears throat> Not saying it's an easy ticker, but it, it's quite evident that, you know, some of these officials just don't, just not in tune with the way the game is going and it's almost like they've they've been taught this linear passage of this is how we should referee the game stay with this if anything kind of goes awry just keep just keep going because uh, you know that situation you look at a team like Nuremberg who are fighting relegation I mean those are the kinds of games they win that game which had the sending off and the penalty not occurred I'm, I'm confident that they were going to win the game the way things were going um you know that's a dangerous thing, and and I know that Dresden actually filed a thing, uh, a report, or a, uh, which is going to Frankfurt uh, with the Court of Arbitration over uh, their game with Darmstadt. So it's 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 an interesting thing. I don't want to dwell on it too much, but yeah, I I I, I sympathise for Nuremberg, but credit to to Darmstadt and and the goal from Dumich was actually a really good goal. So I mean, you don't want to take that away from them, but. Yeah, the game would have been different. I guess Eva will shortly touch on Nuremberg as as I've continued. I mean, I guess the only positive then, if you take it, is that Nikola Dovidan has, uh, has finally uh, picked up some form and, and we expected a lot more from him this season, but now it's slowly coming to fruition. Yeah, I think it's not an easy time for him. Um, I think he, much more, he expected much more of himself and of the club... Um, as well, um, he can be a very important factor if he keeps on playing like he played against Darmstadt for the next couple of weeks. Um, I think someone on the likes of Frey will really look back on his huge, huge chance um, to to make it 2-0, I think, at that stage. Um, and not really converting it... I, I think Nuremberg was especially with um, one man down. They were they weren't really giving up on them. Um, I think they had a lot of good yeah chances going forward, but in the end, um, yeah, it was one man down in the situation they are at the moment. It's not really easy. I think they are now one of the one of four clubs that have twenty six points, with uh, St. Pauli, Bochum, and Hanover. Um, so in that way, it's it's really open for them, but um, also very very dangerous situation at the moment. Absolutely, and then you'd have Sandhausen just a point above, and then Osnabrück are two points ahead of Sandhausen, which makes for a very interesting fixtures coming up. You look, Karlsruhe play Nuremberg on Friday night, um, and then you've got uh, St. Pauli hosting Osnabrück, and then as we mentioned, Bochum. And Sennhausen and Hanover host Kiel on the Monday night. So there are some massive games at the bottom of the table that you know will have plenty of significance going forward. I guess we should also talk about Van Wiesbaden as well in that conversation. Uh, their one-all draw with Greuther Fürth. Uh, Daniel Coffey, Girai was the goal scorer for uh, Van Wiesbaden. Uh, Harvard Nielsen getting the equaliser. Uh, Derek, I know that you did the relegation playoff last season and and watched a bit of Wiesbaden. Uh, this season, it's kind of gone as we expected. They were going to struggle in the Zweite Bundesliga. But it was a, not not a terrible performance against Grotefurt. They were very positive in the first half, but uh, 
again, their inconsistencies not only show without the, with with the the season containing, but also throughout this match they were they were very patchy. Yeah, inconsistency, inability to finish off teams. You could probably level at their door. Um, I thought they had the edge in terms of chances in this game against Greuther Fürth. Uh, scored the first goal through Geray, um, which was nicely set up by Aigner out of seemingly nothing, but just couldn't hang on to the lead. And the results have been up and down, but seeing enough from them to believe that they could make a fist of it, it's just whether they ultimately have the quality, whether they have the quality of player that's going to keep them in the Zweite Bundesliga. And I suspect it'll be a close run thing, uh, probably between finishing second bottom and, and maybe somehow scratching and clawing their way into the relegation playoff, this time as the representative of the, the Zweite Bundesliga as opposed to the, the Dritte Bundesliga. But um, yeah, the story for me hasn't changed that much with them, even though they, they've had their highs and their lows. Um, under Rüdiger Rehm, uh, I, I think it is going to be backs to the wall. But this was by no means the worst performance of the season. Agreed, agreed. They have a tough game next week. Uh, they travel to Bielefeld on uh, the Sunday, so that will be a tough one for them. Uh, Eva, we'll look at the other game quickly. Osnabrück and Auer. It was a goal of straw, very cagey affair, not in... Not one for the attacking purists, but it was quite interesting to hear what Daniel Tune had to say. He was very irritated with the result. Uh, and it's been a tough start to 2020 for Osnabrück. You look at the way it is, it's now five games without a win. And and uh, yeah, I think now they're, they're in a position where they're lo- overlooking uh, the shoulder at the bottom, uh, the, that bottom eight pack. Yeah, I think very, very difficult game for them. Um, I was a bit surprised that they didn't pick up it more points in this game as well. Um, I mean, we spoke about it. Our away is, or was at until this stage, not a really good side. Um, then picking up points at the Bremer Brücke is a bit surprising, I think, because I still think Osnabrück, especially at home, is um, a bit better than they are away, uh, which is a bit worrying if you look at the next couple of weeks. Uh we have the derby against them, or um, at least um, well, a bigger game for, for many in the region. Um, so it uh, can be a really tough game for them if they don't get back in form uh, and have to um, more orientate themselves to to the bottom half than to the bottom tops. Um, yeah, but I think they will come back because I still think they're their quality is higher than uh, the likes of, for example, um, Zandhausen or, or like even Nuremberg or, or Hanover. Um, I think the total quality of them is way, way higher. So we'll see how it goes, but I think they do not have to worry too much. It will be an interesting story as it pertains going forward. We'll take our final break and on the other side, we will answer your topic questions. We have plenty to get through in just a moment. We have quite a selection of topic questions. Um, a good majority of them are Hamburg related, but let's start uh, with Dennis at Dennis ZZZ Sport. Uh, in the match between Nuremberg and Darmstadt, kicker gave the referee a 5.5. As a mark, do you think referees have too much power? Um, and then I guess the second one is, does Esval really deserve promotion? Uh, Eva, I'm going to start with you on this question. Uh, I guess this is a bit of a tricky question to ask, considering 
you know, it's a very subjective matter. Uh, do do you think? Do you reckon that referees have the right, I guess, facilities to 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 do a better job than than what I guess some of us would perceive that they're doing right now? Ooh, tough question. Um, I think we do have a quality problem uh, with German referees from time to time. Um, I think sometimes um, referees should be a bit longer and leagues that aren't the Bundesliga, that's why the Bundesliga especially in terms of of them being VAR acceptable as well. Um, because um, for example, one of the referees I do really like is, uh, for example, Dennis Aitikin. I really like his persona, his character, and his way of refereeing. I think he's a really good re- referee. Um, but the problem is, as soon as he is put together with a more or less younger referee, um, there are a lot of controversies with them because um, maybe they... Of course, they are supposed to be on the same level of information, but of course, someone like Aitikin has much more experience and he can handle a game much better than someone like, for example, Ham Osmas, who's still very young, um, very early came up from from the Dritte Liga to to the higher leagues. Um, So I don't think they have too much power that this is their job. They have to referee a game. I just think that we need a bit more freedom for the referees on the field in terms of VAR decisions. Um, but yeah, I don't think they have too much power in the end. They, If they weren't there, we don't have a football match. So I don't think they have too much power. I just think sometimes the way the power is used is not how it should be. Derek, what's your impression on on this matter? I agree with Eva on Dennis Eidekin. I think he's a very good referee and a model of how you should conduct yourself as a match official. Another one who I'm also very taken with and have been for a while is Bibiana Steinhaus, who I think uh, through her comportment and uh, a lot of it comes down to how you talk to players and how you get your message across. And I think that does, um, as Eva said, come with experience and it's the more experienced referees who know how to convey that. But um, to go back to Dennis's question, I'm assuming this is our friend Dennis in beautiful Regensburg. Um, My view on this really is that the referees are hamstrung to an extent in that they're not really deciding themselves how to make the laws of the game or how to necessarily even interpret them. Um, They are instructed at the start of every season um, in terms of how things have changed from one season to another and how they must go about their business. And if they don't adhere to protocol, they're going to get, as we say, marked down by their supervisors and we won't necessarily see or hear from them again in a high-profile game. So I often feel sorry for referees. I always make a point of talking to them when I can around games because I think they have a very difficult job and it's not always of their own making. Interesting. It is true. I would agree with both remarks. Uh, I guess in terms of promotion... uh, It's hard to say if they deserve it. I would. My grand suggestion is they've got to go and earn it. Uh, you look at uh, how Bielefeld, in particular, are playing. You know the way things are going. They will earn the promotion. You can't. No one really deserves anything 
go and earn it. That's what they've got to do, especially last couple of weeks, not very convincing. Uh, second question is from Daniel at your bowler 17. I guess this is one that I can quickly answer. Uh, guys, we get an intro to the podcast someday. Yes, soon. Very soon, I promise. Way! Uh, it'll, it'll be less, I guess, uh, uh, less Toronto slash Borkham, more... A good Thank mix, you. A good mix, I reckon. But uh, I'll get onto that sometime. I, I do promise. So hopefully, maybe in the next couple of weeks, uh, we'll, we'll uh, weave that one uh, into the to the program. Um, next question is from Steel Penguin at Steel Penguin Three. Hello, hello. How are you doing? Uh, do you think Hamburg can recover from the two derby losses to St. Pauli? Uh, Derek, I'll start with you. I mean, it's quite interesting if you look at last season. Hamburg won. This the fixture at this time of the year, but then conceded to almost uh, self-combust in, in some way. Now they've coming off a defeat. Uh, could this maybe rejuvenate their season going forward? Well, they have some very big games coming up, and undoubtedly, if you look at the squad, of course, they still have uh, good prospects of automatic promotion of making it even by means of the playoff. But yeah, it is well worth going back in time a year ago. And this is sort of when they just kept imploding and they kept um, recording bad results when we all thought, okay, they've turned the corner, they're they're going to see this out now. And they didn't. Um, You know, I I think the one thing we we all know uh, we're in agreement uh, on is that the Zweite Bundesliga is very unpredictable. What you think is a difficult game is sometimes a straightforward game and then vice versa. Um, if I mentioned it earlier, they've got to go to Erzgebirge Aue this weekend and they have a fabulous home record. They've lost just once at home in the current campaign. So that's going to be a real test. And then the game after that is Jan Regensburg, who, as we said, can be mighty unpredictable. Got a draw with Hamburg earlier this season, admittedly at home, but but they have the capability of, of doing something um, spectacular away from home, uh, such as in Hamburg. And then, of course, the big one, and you know, the really big one, is going to be against Bielefeld on the 21st of March. I mean, that is going to tell us an awful lot. And then Stuttgart, when they come back after the international break just a couple of weeks later. So I think in, in many respects, the season is starting just now. <laughs> We've gone through this entire 23-week process, but the season really begins now, given how close relatively speaking, they all are to each other, Bielefeld, Stuttgart, and Hamburg. Hamburg can make it, but there certainly are, there certainly are no guarantees. Absolutely. I do. And who could forget the last time that Jan went to Hamburg, they put five past them, and that was yeah, a very unforgettable situation. Eva, what do, what do you reckon? Uh, they now sit three points behind Stuttgart uh, in a relatively difficult situation. Now they're playing catch-up again. Uh, what, what do you reckon? Do you think they'll be able to recover from this uh, derby defeat, even though they'll always be reminded that Hamburg is brown for the next how many months? <laughs> Brown-white, always yeah. to say, especially if you look back that there were um, elections on the week and it's much more better to say brown-white. Um, well... <sighs> It's always very difficult not only to predict this league, but also to predict how it's fall. Um, I, as I said before, I don't, don't really think that they will bottle this season. Um, I think they're much more stable than they were last couple of seasons uh, or, or last so last year. Um, they have better quality. They have um, a coach that is much more capable of getting the team back into into shape 
Um, so I definitely think they will recover. We saw in the past that you shouldn't put a, a derby win too high on the platter. It's um, especially for Zhang Pauli this season um, wasn't really good. They won, uh, so. I don't think it will. He so I think Hasfal can recover from those two games. They weren't really convincing uh, against Hanover and St. Pauli, but yeah, um, I still see them going up directly. Um, actually, still more than than Stuttgart, for example. Interesting. Uh, I guess this can be more of a yes/no answer, uh, leading in from. The previous question, I guess, uh, from Ben J at Ben Jack ninety four. Any chances Hamburg panic sack Hecking if they go on a bad run? Either. No. Derek. No. Yep, that makes three no's. Pretty convincing. Uh, our last question is actually from one of our colleagues, Gabriel Radis. Of course, you can find him as the Borkham English Twitter uh, coordinator. I guess that's what he does. Um, he has asked us, in particular, wants to know the opinions of Derek, in particular, uh, which side in the quagmire that is the relegation dogfight would suffer the most financially if they were to get relegated, and which side would be best equipped to bounce straight back up? Derek, what do you reckon? Um... Well, first of all, Gabriel, you'd be pleased to know that the answer is not Bochum because I don't think Bochum are really going to be in relegation trouble. <laughs> so we can take them out of the equation. Um, the team that I might have a little question mark about would be Karlsruhe, just based on um, you know the, the work they're doing on the stadium. Uh, you know, it could be that they end up getting relegated. Would they be the sort of team that would have the wherewithal to immediately bounce back? I mean, on one level, you would think perhaps yes. Uh, and, and that probably goes for all the other teams that are in the vicinity, Nuremberg, Hannover, um, you know, Dynamo Dresden have their own dynamic. Uh, but, you know, the chances are if they go to the third division, they're still going to get huge crowds. But as we've seen, getting huge crowds, you know, a club like Kaiserslautern doesn't necessarily guarantee that they're uh, coming back to the, the Zweite Bundesliga automatically. Wegen um, Wiesbaden, uh, if they were to go down, I, I'm not sure because I think there might be a lot of competition with the other teams next season in the, the Dritte Liga. I don't think it would affect their business model that much if they were to go down. I think they would sort of uh, chug along and say, OK, if we get another chance to come up, we'll take it. But it's not necessarily expected or part of the um, the budgetary plans. So so Karlsruhe might be the, the answer to, to that question. Um, but of course, we don't wish financial ill on any team in the Zweite Bundesliga, do we? Absolutely, that would be very, very nasty. I think I do agree with the cultural. I think Wiesbaden are also doing some stadium renovations as well. If I'm not mistaken, they're rebuilding one of their yep. stands. So, yeah, I guess I'd, I would say if Wiesbaden were to go down, I wouldn't expect them to come back up straight away. Whereas with a team like either Karlsruhe or Dresden, I would be more confident that they would be able to do the bounce back. But as has been proven in the Dritte Liga this season, uh, for those keeping uh, an eye on it, uh, those who went down last season, I mean, Duisburg are, are doing really well and they look like they'll be back with us next year. Uh, Magdeburg have really struggled and well, their story has become a little bit uh, unfortunate. Um, and Ingolstadt have been around the mark. So it, it those teams in terms of quality, have probably, I would suggest, a better quality of player than maybe 
V Spartan have, but it would be interesting to see how it goes. Uh, Eva, what do you reckon? I'll, I'll let you answer this one as well. Um, well, I think I, I, I agree with you, both of you, and I will put Bochum in the mix. Um, so if they <laughs> would go down um, eventually, or they like at some point, um, I don't think they could, would go or they would bounce back immediately. Um, I think Bochum has financially not the most stable yeah, characteristics at the club at the moment. Um, and the whole club seems to be a bit torn apart from time to time. Um, everything with uh, the Bastoncensi Lords and co. Uh, he's not really accepted in the fan scene. And that, that might be a huge, huge problem for them if they go down. Um but I'd agree. I think Dresden can go back. They showed it um, in the past that they can go back up. Uh, I think that's their advantage. But clubs like Wien and Karlsruhe, they would suffer much more. It is interesting to see how, what happens going forward. We have a fascinating number of weeks heading into that international break big thank you for joining us today derek it's great to have you back on we hope we can have you back on soon again absolutely always a pleasure to come on thanks for having me guys it is our pleasure eva thank you as always for uh, for, for joining me uh, once again always glad to be here oh, we're always glad to have you here uh and that's it we should sign off. Uh, let's hope everyone has a fantastic week and weekend of Spider Bundesliga football, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye.